Transform your investment strategy with the MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2023 Trust. This unique offering exclusive to physician families uses non-traditional strategies that allow you to diversify your portfolio and potentially help grow your wealth over the long term. With access to institutional level private equity opportunities, this solution could be what you need to help you meet your financial goals. Learn more about this limited time opportunity at mb.ca slash private equity. Welcome to episode 31 of the MD Market Watch podcast. I'm your host, Alex Chung, content manager with MD Financial Management. The second quarter of the year is in the books, and once again on balance, it provided solid financial return. As always, we had some ups and downs, but at the halfway point of the calendar year, we're in good shape in both equity and fixed income markets year to date. As investors are receiving their quarterly statements right about now, it's again a natural time to reflect on recent events, as well as look ahead. We know you love to hear directly from the portfolio managers, so Craig Maddock, Vice President, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of the Multi-Asset Management Team, and Mark Fairbairn, Portfolio Manager on Craig's team, joined us to reflect on the quarter, discuss key drivers of investment performance, our positioning, and what lies ahead. Please enjoy. Craig, Mark, thanks again for joining the podcast. The second quarter of 2023 was once again another solid performer. However, some uncertainties remain about the rest of the year in 2024. Why don't we start with the key drivers of performance in the quarter? Good to chat with you again, especially when performance has been so strong. Year-to-date returns across both stocks and bonds have been very positive, and our quality growth strategies across most of our portfolios was an added boost to performance. Of course, that means the portfolios we manage were off to a great start, and that makes me and the team very pleased. Year-to-date performance on conservative portfolios are up around 3%, and longer-term growth portfolios up around 6%. And of course, some are a little higher, some are a little lower, depending on the specific portfolio you're invested in, but it gives you a pretty good flavor for what's happened so far this year. Now, as you mentioned, we're only halfway through the year. And while most of our portfolios are approaching our long-term annual return expectations, that's a pretty good outcome. Now, of course, most conservative portfolios have a higher allocation to bonds, and Canadian bond investments were up around 3% this year. And that's with midterm bonds outpacing short-term bonds, as interest rates have started to moderate this year in anticipation of a reduction of the very aggressive central bank tightening that will hopefully come to an end. And the reason the year-to-date results are so impressive is because the same strong drivers of return we spoke about in the first quarter continued throughout the second quarter. Now, this first half of the year is the strongest start to the NASDAQ 100 index in history, up a staggering 36%. Now, this, of course, has been fueled by the craze over AI, pushing growth stocks back to excessive multiples in hopes of picking up the winner. For instance, the chip maker NVIDIA has emerged as the front runner to monetize the potential success of AI, and time will tell if this excessive run-up in stock prices of the growthiest AI-linked companies is truly artificial intelligence or perhaps just natural stupidity. Now, similarly, the S&P 500 also had its best start since the year 2000. Now, this time it's been driven by Apple, which now has a market cap of over $3 trillion. That is larger than all of the companies in the Russell 2000, the smaller cap companies in the U.S. combined. It's also larger than the entire size of the Canadian stock market. That's just one company. Wow, that does seem a little bit crazy. Now, outside of these speculative gains we've seen in IT, telecoms, and consumer discretionary, the real economy continues to slow. It was in this quarter that Bed Bath & Beyond filed for bankruptcy, suggesting that the global slowdown is truly having an impact on companies. Traditional bricks-and-mortar businesses are feeling the pressure. Think of the global real estate sector. It's down 7% year-to-date. That's a huge contrast to the information technology sector, up over 30%. And real estate was not alone. Aside from the strength of the top three sectors globally, nothing else was really positive, with most sectors delivering a near-zero return. 
and utilities and energies firmly in negative territory alongside real estate. So most of the global stock market seems to be feeling the impact of monetary tightening. If you look at specific markets, the Canadian stock market was up about 5.7% year to date. However, that paled in comparison to the S&P 500 in the U.S., which was up over 14%. Growth stocks in the U.S., represented by the Russell 1000 Growth Index, was up 26%, while its value counterpart was up a measly 2.7%. And then around the world, we saw strength coming from Europe and surprisingly Japan, which propelled non-North American markets up over 9% so far this year. The weak spot in global equities was in emerging markets, with China down almost 8% year-to-date. So now with three strong quarters of market returns, the next 12-month price earnings multiple on the S&P 500 is back to 19.3 times, which is quite frankly where it was before the Fed started hiking interest rates back in March of 2022. And most of the market return can therefore be attributed to multiple expansion, which I have to say feels quite optimistic against the backdrop of higher interest rates and slowing growth. Thanks for breaking down the data, Craig. It's interesting to see how different parts of the market are performing. With that said, can you tell us a bit more about the market performance driving events? Well, we sometimes see investors really key on any particular topic of concern, whether it's a geopolitical event, election, or something of that nature. And maybe just for interest, in this last quarter, we saw the U.S. government run up against the debt ceiling limit. Uh, which was a political obstacle that we've seen come up uh, every few years now lately. And the most likely outcome was always going to be that it always got worked out. And in this case, there was a small chance, very small chance, that the parties in the government wouldn't be able to negotiate a resolution, in which case we could have seen some pretty unusual outcomes, right? The U.S. defaulting on debt obligations, a shutdown of the government services, things of that nature. And in the quarter, investors were really keyed in on this one event, over the past few months and, and how the markets moved up and down on reports of how negotiations were going. I don't want to say investors were wrong to focus on this because it was an important event, but as usually the case, clear heads prevailed, any reasonable outcome was achieved. And once that happened, U.S. stocks rallied again, and the negotiations are now just a footnote. So to me, the, the key takeaway is as much as we can focus on what the drivers were in the short term, like in a quarter, and this certainly was one of those events, the key takeaway is that while short-term events matter, Long-term investors shouldn't get too focused on them. We really should be spending time thinking about the long-term fundamentals and try to ignore these short-term distractions. That's great advice. Thank you, Craig. Over to you, Mark. We saw a shift in monetary policy and interest rate expectations. What did we make of that? That was one of the biggest events in the quarter. Elevated inflation has generally been declining around the world after a significant series of interest rate hikes from most major central banks. A few months ago, most would have guessed that the majority of the heavy lifting had been done, and it was mostly a matter of letting those rate hikes flow through the economy over time, which would bring inflation down around the level targeted by central banks. In fact, most investors believed that not only had most of the rate hikes already occurred, but they were likely to be rate cuts later this year as the economy slowed down. As it turns out, the economy has proven to be pretty resilient, and with inflation, particularly core inflation, coming down slower than central bankers would like, we saw continued monetary tightening in Q2, and indications from central bankers that we may see even more tightening in the second half of the year. It's certainly notable, and that kind of thing can move the market in the short term. Of course, over the longer term, it's not such a big deal. It just moves things in line with our longer term expectations. But in terms of what happened in Q2, we saw bond yields rise and bond prices pulling back a little bit. Equity investors were also building these updated interest rate expectations into their view on stocks. While higher interest rates are negative for equities, some evidence of a resilient global economy also factored in here, with the likelihood of a near-term recession a little lower now and increasing possibility of a soft landing. 
Appreciate the context, Mark. Any other major macro events to note? Well, I sort of mentioned it earlier, but China's economy showed an impressive rebound when things opened up after COVID lockdowns a while back. But the pace of growth has now slowed in the second quarter. Uh, manufacturing performance is underwhelming. And services growth, while still positive, uh, is also slowing. And since China is such a big market for Canadian exports, and particularly for commodities, this has implications for the Canadian economy, but as well the rest of the world. And we've already seen recent interest rate cuts in China. We're going to likely see some more stimulus to get the Chinese economy back on track. Speaking of China, I'd like to take the opportunity to plug a recent blog post by Mark that dives into the situation in China in a bit more detail. So if you're interested, please check it out. How should we think about markets and the economy in the context of Q2 performance? Q2 performance was pretty good, but more importantly, year-to-date performance has been excellent. In fact, as Craig mentioned, we've now seen three solid quarters in a row after a rough patch last year. This is a bit of a reminder that we sometimes see volatility in short periods, but it's important for us to focus on long-term fundamentals. In the short term, anything can happen. But in the long term, fundamentals prevail. In fact, last fall, as part of our annual process, we updated our long-term capital market assumptions, raising our expectations for future returns from where they were previously. Notably, a big part of that was raising our fixed income return expectations, which is related to bond yields that are much higher than we've seen in recent years. So we think the future remains bright and will provide nice returns to meet the goals of long-term investors. We talked about performance being resilient and growing enthusiasm stemming from the sustained economic strength. Has this impacted our portfolio positioning? Are we getting more aggressive? Certainly some of what we've seen is encouraging. Inflation is declining. Most of the monetary policy tightening has likely already occurred. And while we've seen some indications of a slowing global economy, there's some data that's showing resilience. Um, it's certainly not collapsing. But with that said, we're trying not to get caught up in the excitement of rising markets. We still remain a bit cautious, try to keep a prudent view. All those rate hikes we've seen in the past five quarters are eventually going to make an impact. Just takes a little bit of time for that to show through the economy. Therefore, we do expect the economy will continue to slow. And while we believe it will be hard to escape a recession with all of the policy tightening that's in the system, it's of course difficult to know exactly when that's going to show up. We are confident that it will come at some point in time because that is part of the normal business cycle. As always, we said this a few times already, investors will be rewarded for focusing on the fundamentals. Our active management strategies have worked, particularly in fixed income recently, as of course we can add or subtract from portfolio credit and duration. And as always, you try to keep our portfolios positioned to perform very well in a variety of different circumstances. With that said, how have the events of 2023 so far informed your views on investing for the rest of the year? Has anything changed? We continue to closely follow the path of the global economy, uh, and we've touched on some of the interesting macroeconomic trends that we're going to keep an eye on. Uh, some of the news that we see will inform the long-term fundamentals. Some of it will be short-term in nature uh, and just be noise that won't affect the long-term. And of course, as always, we know stocks and bonds will fluctuate in value. And we also know that generally they go up over time. So while we still think there's good investment opportunities available, uh, we believe volatility will likely continue for the foreseeable future, and there may be some economic ups and downs uh, ahead. And as a result, we're planning for that by managing our portfolios a little bit more defensively than normal. How about for you, Mark? As we've said over the past couple of quarters, we're now expecting higher investment returns in the coming years than what we were expecting a year ago. This is particularly true for bonds due to the more compelling bond yields. But it's also true for equities. There are some sectors where we continue to see attractive valuations. The economy may experience some challenges along the way, but some cheaper entry points now continue to provide wiggle room. 
since a fair amount of negativity is already priced into some parts of the market, and any positive economic performance may be a bit of a surprise. So what I'm hearing is think long-term, stay focused on your investment plans and goals, and not to dwell too much on the day-to-day -day fluctuations in your investment portfolio. I'll just quickly add that speaking to your MD advisor can help with that, to confirm that you're still on track to meet your goals and to provide context that can be missed with attention-grabbing news and headlines. Craig, Mark, I really appreciate this conversation. On behalf of our listeners, thank you for the update and your outlook. As always, if you have any questions about what we spoke about today, questions about your portfolio, please don't be shy. Reach out to an MD advisor. Whether you're a client or not, we're here to help. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider and check out our other market commentary content available on MD.ca. You'll find blog posts, videos, and much more. Last but not least, thank you for listening to the MD Market Watch podcast, and thank you to all the doctors and healthcare professionals out there for taking care of us. Bye, everybody. Thank you.